I uh, can't, can't even can't even hardly handle it. The kids can't handle it. That's why they're leaving right now. Go for it, kids. This is just the start. Boy, we're in it, and we're loving it, and this is glorious. And I, um, I just got to tell you, I have a lot of things on my mind, as all of you do. Hold on a sec, Paul. I want to talk to you for a sec. Um, <laughs> uh, this is Paul Harris, a great drummer, fantastic drummer. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Can you treat, teach me how to do that like oh. by next Sunday? Maybe. maybe. No, okay. All right. Here, I want to, I got a mic, so um, I want to I wanna tell you something. Mm. Um, I love your ministry. I love it that you're not just uh, playing a role. Mm -hmm. I've watched you, and I've seen uh, the look of life in you, and uh, it's very real, very real. Thank you. And I know it's real because you and I have talked about it. And I, I said to you in advance of this morning, um, I want you to be willing to share if you can, if the Holy Spirit tells you what to say. But I, um, my title today is Because He Lives, Paul. And uh, we're going to talk about what that looks like. And we're only going to scratch the surface because there's, there's Paul Mm -hmm. and there's Larry and Nancy and John and P there's a room full of people with a way of their own to answer or finish that sentence mm -hmm. because he lives and it gets very personal so tell us how tell me why why the why you're you're radiant I mean mm -hmm. you're for real and just give me a little feel give us a feel for that would you thanks thanks Steve yeah um I'm really hoping like uh, the spirit will be able to speak through me because I hate public speaking and I hate speaking in front of people, so I'm kind of like leaning to that. But you know, um, there's been a kind of a journey over the past few years, especially into this new kind of like understanding of my faith and everything. But you know, uh, I grew up going to church, bless my parents for that. I don't know where they are, but that was a blessing on their part. I appreciate that lots. But you know, as I grew up going to church, I always thought being a Christian was about. Um, doing the right thing, you know, and like being the selfless person and serving other people and all this stuff just because, you know, it's what, what we were supposed to do and what we were told to do. So that's what we got to do is because that's, that's a way to be a good Christian and all that. But, you know, in the past few years, um, especially during uh, the whole COVID situation in 2020, I was kind of brought into this place of really seeking God with all of my heart. And that's when I had a, a very personal encounter with Jesus and really started to understand that being a Christian is really a lot more about entering into relationship with him. And then through that, you start to do the right things, not just because it's what you're supposed to do. It's not because what you're told to do. And it's not because you want those things back. You know, it's not for your good. You do those things because that's what gives you life. And that's what really um, bonds you to Christ. You do it out of your love for him. You love other people because of your love for him. And you serve them because you love him. And then that is what really brings life because, you know, doing things just because we're supposed to or because we're told to, or the right things, you know, living the right way just by itself brings a lot of death to us, and we start to die internally because we're not uh, in relationship to Jesus Christ. So really, when we start to understand the love he has for us, that grows our love for other people through that, and we start to do those things because we want other people to understand the love of Christ through us. And, you know, I had this, um, this morning towards the end of summer last year well, I don't know what happened while I was sleeping, but I woke up with this total conviction that the only reason to live was to live to glorify God and to glorify Christ. Uh -huh. And for any other reason would be to live for your death. 
And, you know, it was this total, like, 100% conviction that I've never felt before. And the ways I felt, like, responding were either to just fall on my knees and start, like, praising him or to go out, like, in the streets in my pajamas and start, like, shouting at like, <laughs> Jesus loves you. You should get it. Uh, but I went for the former. Um, <laughs> we're trying to imagine you in pajamas right now. It's kind of a cool thought, but go ahead. But, you know, from that, it completely changed my journey through this last year and just... Um, living every day with that perspective that living for Christ is the only way to live and living for anything else is to live for death. And through that experience, you know, through the image of the cross and stuff, we can begin to start letting Christ put our flesh and ourself to death in us so that we can really start to live in his life for us and that he would be able to show his love for others through us. So to answer your question, yes, because he lives, I no longer have to live for death, and I can truly live for his life. <laughs> yes, Paul. <laughs> you do it. That was terrific. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I, um, I did not know that story um, until I asked him, would you be willing to share uh, something of your secret? Why are you, Paul Harris, uh, a new person? What has what happened and, um, and thank you. Thank you, Paul. And I, um, <clears throat> I really think that um, I, I, I resonate with that because I grew up in the church, too. And I grew up as a PK in the church, which is like um, the, the, the guy that had the keys to the church was my dad. You're right. And, and so um, there was this sort of autopilot sense you know, that's what the McCrackens do. And I had to get a, I had to come to a Paul place. And it was very profound for me. It was almost like the other Paul that our Bible tells about in Acts chapter 9, where he was a piece of work. And then on his way to cause more trouble, he met Jesus Christ, the risen one. And it changed him. And he became the Apostle Paul. You're going to hear about I hear words from him this morning as I share some of my thoughts, but I, that happened to me. And I, I just want to say on the front end, if you're here this morning and that's not happened to you, and especially if you've been here a lot, you've been a Christian a long time, you grew up as Paul or myself in the church, um, but it's just, it's, you're doing things for different reasons than for Jesus and Jesus only then maybe God's got something to speak to your heart this morning. I, I'm just going to guess he does. And um, I'm glad for that. I, um, <clears throat> uh, I know you know this, uh, but these facts are uh, reported in the Gospels, that Jesus Christ was born <clears throat> into our world uh, over two millennia ago in Nazareth of uh, in Bethlehem, rather, of Judea in modern-day Israel. He came into the world that way, and he grew up. Uh, we know very little about his childhood. We simply know that he grew up north of there in Galilee, uh, northern Israel. And he lived there until he was 30. And the facts are reported in the Gospels that at 30, he began and embarked upon a three-year, uh, I'm going to say a uh, whirlwind 
uh, we would say today, tour of the nation, the people that inhabited the north up in Galilee, the south down in Judea, and everything in between. He was on the go and on the move. And he went and he touched countless lives. Uh, there's images that we can get from reading the Gospels that Jesus uh, actually healed people and cast out demons and uh, uh, did amazing, amazing, we would call them, they're known in the Bible as uh, miracles, but he did so much more because it says everywhere he went in cities and villages he taught and he touched lives. He taught people how, in fact, to live. And then he died. And that's what um, I'm not sure we're supposed to ever get over is the images of Friday. And if you don't have a ready answer for why Friday is called Good Friday, God's got some things he wants you to discover about his son. It was the most horrible day in history, and, it, and yet it's called Good how come? How could that be? Uh, each of those facts that I've just kind of clicked through has been confirmed again and again. And though many people have tried over the years, and they continue to try to discredit them or, uh, or, or uh, diminish them, they still stand. But even aside from that, what happened on a morning like this, long ago, is, is something that changed everything. He, three days after he died, early on a Sunday morning, something happened, I'm going to just say, ignited the world. It, it would have broke the press, we would say today. They couldn't print enough papers. No one reads them today, but you get my point. Uh, they, would have, they would have told the story as breaking news that, net, that broke the internet, we say, if it had happened today. Because on that morning uh, that his tomb was empty, the world was ignited by that, and it has impacted populations and individuals ever since. Um, it's summarized by this simple announcement. Uh, I have to pause and tell you, somebody sent me a picture of uh, almost, I, I would have destroyed our, our uh, tech team if I came this morning with the request of can you show that on the screen because it takes a little more effort than just hey what why not you know uh, but it's a picture of somebody walking in to a tomb that the that had a stone that had been rolled back and the person walking in was kind of halfway in and he has this look of I know I know what I'm going to discover but it still blows me away to be here and that tomb was just outside the city of Jerusalem. And that person was me, taken by one of the people on our, our trip to Israel. And we all went and had moments like that where 
uh, we imagine hearing, not just seeing and walking in and saying little things. I remember saying something like, he's really not here. He's really alive. He's not here. And, and, and then you could actually hear the announcement. Uh, he is not here. He has risen from the dead just as he said. So if you had been one of the women, they were the first there that morning, you would have heard those words. And, and they were not human words. But you would have taken them in. And of course they were spoken. The Bible tells us by an angel who had just been sent from heaven to announce this incredible news. And, and I can't do these dramatic things but tell you about the earth that shook as they arrived. And the, the, the rock had been rolled back. And all of this took place rattling the city of Jerusalem. Just, just a stone's throw away. And, and the, the women who had come there to grieve for Jesus at his grave were just stunned in, in every way possible. And here we are again on yet another anniversary of that first Easter, affirming as they did the angel's announcement, he is not here, he has risen. I will say it now. He is risen. He is risen and people have responded that way ever since that first Easter Sunday. Um, speaking of Easter Sundays, one Easter Sunday many years ago, there was a pastor um, uh, like me doing what I just did, uh, announcing he is risen. And then there was this response, sort of the customary reply in gatherings like this, when a pastor or leader says he is risen, they did what you just did. He is risen indeed. And this man was sitting in that church that day, taking all of that in, and he was somewhat startled, his own word, and confused. He was left out. He didn't know what the crowd was supposed to say. Maybe you're one of those this morning. But he wrote about it, and he reported that this was kind of a weird moment for me. And then he said this, I'm quoting, I was seized then by a moment of what seemed to be spiritual significance. He's just a, he's just a guy checking it out on Easter Sunday, it happens to be. And then he adds this, and I thought to myself, what would it mean for our world? For me, if he had truly risen, end quote, what a great statement. What would it have meant for our world? Perhaps like that man, you too personalize it. Um, you've wondered the same. It's a big deal. But in what way is it a big deal to me, to you? I'm going to give you a little reflection this morning. Um, the first Christians on that first Easter, when the news was first heard, a bunch of firsts, uh, apparently meant everything. 
So to that man's question, what would it mean? Well, apparently it meant everything. And the Apostle Paul, I mentioned him at the start, would go on to say in the epic passage that he probes this question, what would it mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By the way, he wrote that over 20 years later. He had time to gather his thoughts. He had time to ponder, what does it mean? How does it impact me? And the Holy Spirit led him to say this simple statement. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And even worse, so is your faith. That's right out of Paul's answer to the question. What would it mean? So let me ask you, do you believe that he rose and lives today? Okay? It's not a rhetorical question. I love you saying it out loud. Here's another question. Do you believe that he is the resurrected Jesus who gives life? Amen. Okay. Amen is just, I agree. I'm, I'm, so be it. Uh, and that he, even, that, that all, continuing that second question, even you who believe in him will in fact have eternal life. I do. I sure do. And do you believe that everything, not some, not most, but everything that Jesus said and stood for is still true today? I do. Which inf involves things that are yet to come, doesn't it? It involves a lot of what I have to say in my Easter message this morning. Uh, I'm going to say that um, if those, if your voice was one of the amens a moment ago, or you didn't say it, but you thought it, you felt it, yeah, I believe those things. I believe he's risen. I believe that all who believe in him will have life, and this isn't the ultimate end to anything for a follower of Jesus. I believe those things, Pastor. Then I think this message is going to have special significance um, and encouragement, meaning for you. Because he lives was my title, and it is my title. And here's the deal. Bear with me. Um, either we go for the next five or six hours and answer, finish that <laughs> statement, or I just brush a cup, cup, uh, against a couple of things. And I chose that because I want you to like me when we're done. Uh, <laughs> But I, 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 you probably go, well, Pastor, how come you chose what you're going to tell us? And, and it's a good question. It wasn't random. I actually reached into my experience with you. Some of you in this room, many of you watching from other places this morning and joining us that way. And I hear questions. And, um, and, I, and I, I see tears. More tears than I've ever seen in 40 years as a pastor. Way more. Way, way more. And so I, I thought, you know what? I, I want to just share, because he lives, some takeaway truths that will, um, and I hope this doesn't water it down, but they are plug and play. They really are. And I want to thank you because your lives have helped me circle around a couple of those. 
The first and by far the biggest is this. You can write it down if you want. That's cool. Um, and if you can't, then just go online. You can watch this service over or you can, uh, you know, listen to the uh, podcast, whatever. Okay, so here it is. Because he lives, because he lives, death doesn't have the final say. <laughs> because Jesus lives, death does not have the final say. Amen, right? So here's the deal. That is not me blowing sunshine. That doesn't do you any good. Because you're going to leave here in a little bit and go, oh, that's a feel-good service. But that didn't do squat for me. I want it to uh, do more than squat. I want it to change your soul like it's changed my soul. Um, uh, a year ago tomorrow, uh, we said goodbye to my mother. She passed. And, um, and uh, I wouldn't have much to say uh, uh, at all if it weren't for the fact that I don't believe she even died. The Bible reports that she lives even though she died. And because she lives and believes in Jesus, she never died. That means that moment, we say it, but she, she closed her eyes this last time on the 18th, last year, and she opened them for the first time face to face with the one that was in that tomb and is no longer because he's alive. Amen? That's so good. So, so um, that's, that's a truth that the Bible wants us to anchor to because it's a piece of hope. Listen to how Paul put it in another passage. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, I like the pause, I believe that. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him your mom. He will bring with him believers who have already died. Some of you, it wasn't even a year ago. My heart's heavy with the burden of loss that you live with. But you will see your loved one again because they've, they've trusted Jesus. They embraced him. And God will do that. Those words are not made up. They're right in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4. He will do that, and it is a treasured truth to many of us who have suffered the death of a loved one. I was thinking about death. I, I, you say, well, that's what a pastor does. You know that you marry and bury, right? Well, okay, I guess. <laughs> But I, I, like you, we've lived in, with a lot of death. We really have from, from cancer and COVID and this, this terrible, egregious war in Ukraine. Um, people, death does not have the final word. It doesn't. John Donne was a 17th century poet and, and preacher, and he had a lot of famous poems. I would encourage you to read them. They reveal a lot of truth. But his by far most uh, popular poem ever uh, is, contains this expression, and it's the title of the poem. 
death be not proud. Almost giving death uh, personification. Don't you dare gloat death. Be not proud, he says. In which he takes aim at death, and you can hear it in my voice in a taunting kind of a way. Don't you dare smile at death. Um, and it's a similar sound to the words I want to read to you right now. They're from a modern uh, rendering of 1 Corinthians 15. I mentioned that passage already to you. It's must read. If, you're, if you leave here and go, that was a good talk, but I need to know more. 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter. It's a long puppy, like 58 verses. Okay? Here's similar sounding words to John Donne. Death be not proud. But let me tell you something wonderful, the Bible says. A mystery. I'll probably never fully understand it, Paul said. We're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. And in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. Our on signal from that trumpet in heaven, the dead will up and be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we will all be changed. In the resurrection, schemes of things, this, uh, in the resurrection scheme of things, this got to happen. Everything perishable takes off, takes, taken off the shelf and replaced by imperishable. Imagine that. I mean, very few things last forever, right? I know they tell me my truck, like a rock, you know. It ain't going to last, okay? won't. Um, <laughs> thank you for not giving cat calls and saying it would if it was a different brand, but whatever. <laughs> so anyway, um, um, the perishable takes off, taken off the shelves uh, and, the, and replaced by the imperishable, this mortal replaced by the immortal, and then this saying will come true. Death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, oh death? Oh death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and the law code guilt that gave sin its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, Paul concludes all three, sin, guilt, and death are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Thank God. Indeed, God will not let death win, people. Yeah, so big, so big. That means I can face tomorrow. Every fear, including death, Every fear is gone. And I know, I know he holds my life, my future in his hands. Do you know that? Because I want you to know that. I'm not lecturing to you. 
I'm not hitting hard. I'm simply saying, do you, do you know that? Because if you don't know it, I want to talk to you afterwards. I want to talk to you in the weeks to come. If you don't feel comfortable talking to a pastor, you know, somebody like me that raises his voice, then, then we'll find somebody that's quieter and just, okay, you can meet with my wife. She's lovely and wonderful and calming. Um, because he lives, death doesn't have the final say. Can't you just feel it, people? I mean, this is so good. Here's a second favorite implication. Because he lives, this came from so many moments with you. Because he lives, life is ours to live by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I hope you heard my emphasis as I said that. Because he lives, life is ours, mine and yours to live by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You may know this, maybe not, but it's, it'll draw you into what I want to read to you. The Apostle Paul recorded a lot of prayers in the 14, he, he, he wrote 13, rather, letters in the New Testament. You may have known that. Some call them epistles, they're letters. Epistles is so weird and old. Letters. So he wrote letters. 13 of them. And in those letters, if you gathered up a collection of them, you would find some 40 prayers, actually. But um, he wrote a, a letter to a group of believers in the ancient city of Ephesus, which is modern-day western Turkey, to give you a point of reference, okay? And he wrote these people there, and he talked to them about some relevant issues which should help you right now to, to, to realize the things we think about today. Um, how can I live this life successfully? How can I rise above the hurt and the hard in life? How can I do that? The answer Paul gives in a prayer for those people who had the same question. They wondered, how can we do this? And he says you can do it not on your own, but by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's how you can do it. That, I think, is at the heart of what Paul shared, uh, our Paul, Paul Harris shared this morning. I was trying to do it because you're supposed to be good, you know, in church, right? That's what church people are supposed to be good. There used to be a pastor joke, you know, I get paid to be good. The rest of you are just good for nothing. <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> that was actually seriously funny, but anyway. <laughs> okay, swallow. There we go. All right, I'm going to quote Ephesians chapter 1, a, a, actually a longer prayer of his. I've not stopped this. Listen, I want you to listen for the resurrection truth because we're talking resurrection and it's linked to this. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, Paul begins. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Isn't that, isn't that cool? He wants to help you get to know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty power he exerted. Listen. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. End of prayer. Amen. The power seen in the resurrection of Jesus. The tomb was empty and it remains empty. He is alive. He is risen. And that truth on that first Easter is that happened because of the power of God to make it happen. And incredibly, it's the same power that he brings into play in my life and your life to live out this Christian life. So because he lives, life is ours to live by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul understood that connection so much that he, he, he made simple statements like, I can do all things through Christ, right? Through Christ. He's not some super, you know, I, I was watching kids play on a playground yesterday and they were telling their dad, they're very little children, they're saying, Daddy, I'm this superhero. And it's all these superhero things and I thought how charming and how real, but it, it's bigger and better than that. We have the power of God who says, I want you to live a certain way and my power will pull it off. My power. Um, what's his power source to say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Paul answers that. Romans 8 verse 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead Get your head around this. Lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit, and he repeats, living inside you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's doing all this. It's so good. It's so real. And it's, it's really time to get personal and make this very personalized. Okay? Jesus died for our sins on a Friday and was raised on an Easter Sunday by the Spirit of God. I'm linking it together now. Powerful? To raise Jesus to life from the dead? I can't think of a bigger display at all of power. Can you? I mean, this, this kind of stands on its own. Um, I want you to do something that would be uncomfortable, and if it leads to tears, it's okay. Okay? 
I want you to think about your life right now and the problem you're living with. I want you to think about it because for most of us, we have plenty to choose from. If I stayed quiet for a few minutes, you would, you would come up with a list even, I bet. Unless you're different than me. Sound weird to have a pastor say, I got mine. I do, and so do you. So what's your, what's your problem? And I'm going to go so far, let's go out of a ways. I think, I think your problem, maybe one or two in your list, might, might actually be a death-sized difficulty that you're living with. Here's the deal. Some may not even know that. But you're in deep despair. Oh, you smile. I've done that. And inside, my heart's just broken. On Friday, I couldn't hold it in. And I lost it. So come next Good Friday and see the pastor lose it. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's too much. So you got that problem in focus. Um, in our lives or in the life of someone you know, you're ready to hear this third implication of because he lives. Okay? Some of you are writing these down, and that's cool. But here it is. Because he lives, every sorrow, every struggle, every loss, and every problem faces a not seen but no less certain outcome. I can't tell you how many times conversations get to that these days as a pastor. It's just there. Because he lives, every, every single one of the sorrows the struggles, that's, that's why we have conversations. The, the losses, every problem that you're thinking about right now faces something. A not yet seen, but a certain outcome. How can I say that with such clarity? Ask Job. Seriously. You go, Job, who's that? Some of you might be saying that's okay. J-O-B is a, it's a job, but in his case, it's a name, Job. And he has a book in the Bible uh, that, that conveys his, his story, okay? 42-chapter book. He's remembered in the Bible as a man who suffered for reasons, I'll just be full disclosure, that are never fully explained. In fact, by the second chapter, one, two, of 42 chapters, second chapter, he had lost everything that mattered. We don't know how long the 42 chapters lasted. We just know if you're reading any book in the second chapter, it's a full-blown hurricane. 
It's a death-sized difficulty. You know the next 40 chapters are going to be one heck of a journey. Brutal. That's Job. And, and, and I could list all the things out and read it all, but I'm just capturing for you the reality that he had lost all of his kids. They died. He had lost everything, servants, livestock, meaning his livelihood, his herdsmen, and yes, his home, all gone. And throw in misery then on top of all of that when he is covered top to bottom, head to tail with boils. Amidst his suffering, Job was silent. What could you possibly say if you're Job? Even when enticed to curse God and throw in the towel, Job refuses to relent. Why? Better yet, how? Is there just every so often a guy that's just stronger than the rest of us? Or is there there a deeper something here that kept him from caving in, throwing in the towel? Even though Job did not know the end of the story of Job like we do, I wish we didn't, but I'm glad we do. Does that sound conflicted? I am, because I want to read it like I'm hearing it for the first time. He didn't know how it would turn out. He had no knowledge of chapter 42. And yet, somewhere along the way, let's call it halfway through the story, his source of strength is revealed for facing tomorrow. These are his own words. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he, my Redeemer, will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, that means I died and my body decays. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. That means with a brand new body. I will see God. I myself, he says, to emphasize that, will see him. And with my own eyes, I, not another, how my heart yearns within me. End quote. You can look at chapter 19. You'll see it for yourself. Job's words reveal the source of his confidence and the certainty that he had that sustained him and empowered him to face whatever trouble or or trial today or tomorrow might bring. That source, it's someone. We know him as Jesus. Centuries later, 
on an evening before Jesus went to the cross. He spoke similar life-giving words that I just captured for you from Job. Um, Despite knowing what the next day held for Jesus, the cross. Said Jesus, before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You've got it. You will live also. Amen? Because Jesus lives, we too, people, we can affirm, like Job, that we will see God. We will. And and be able to face, in the meantime, anything that tomorrow brings. It's, it's kind of like leaping over, if we could clear that much pain, to find our way from today to that day. You with me? It, we can't, so we get to go through this. But we will, with our own eyes, behold Jesus, because he lives. I want to conclude my message in a way that involves you more than anything you've heard in the last bit. Um, I have a question for you that I've I've spent more time on this message than most. And I believe it has to be asked. All right? So don't just uh, turn it off because he's wrapping it up and heading into his conclusion. No. I want you to really think about this question. And, um, and I ask it because the answer is not a given. There's nothing rhetorical here. There's not one that can answer, well, duh, Pastor. Don't you know my answer? I really don't. I don't. So here's the deal. It's actually um, <clears throat> not just one question. It's a question that has two parts. So here goes. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? Okay. That first part of my question is a long ago question. It's basically, do you believe the Bible about Jesus? Which tells us emphatically, he died and he rose again. So it's a question about long ago. But there's a second part, and here it goes. Do you believe Jesus lives today and wants you to make his death and resurrection personal? That is the right now question. One's historical, one is in the game. Right now. How do you make it personal? If your first answer was, yep, amen, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that, Pastor. And I believe he's coming again. You might even go that far. The 
Well, maybe you were a little softer in your response to the second part. Because do you believe that Jesus lives today and wants you to make his death very personal and his resurrection just as personal? You look at your life and go, well, he knows everything, so he knows the evidence is different than the answer I want to give you, Pastor. <laughs> That's okay. That's a start. So how do you answer that second part emphatically? Here's how to make it personal. Believe that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including you and me. You got to get personal about it. There was no pixie dust in his arrival that he just spreads the good cheer around. It's a very profoundly personal encounter with Jesus. Paul talked about it. Anybody that walks with Jesus today has to come to this place of saying, I don't want a credo. I don't want a code. I don't want a catechism. I want a relationship with the giver of life, Jesus Christ. Because he's not going to ask me for the, when did you get baptized? When did you get confirmed? When did you uh, start going to church? And Oh, I see there's a gap here. You stopped going. You want to talk about that? No. <laughs> Makes it sound like Jesus is from the south, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> or he's a cowboy or something. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's, it's really, um, you believe, to make it yours, you believe that he came to this world to save sinners, and you're in that group, so am I. And then secondly, if you, if you agree, if you believe that, then you need to repent of your sin and ask him to save you. He will, you know, right here, right now. He will. I want you to bow your head with me this morning because I feel like this is a moment that will change some souls for eternity. Some of you watching are in this as well. <clears throat> the Jesus who rose from the dead will return one day. For him to return for you requires a response by you. I'm just going to guess some people aren't sure how to respond. So I reached into the Bible and I want you to just listen to this response from a nameless man that's described in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 18. I counted the words. There were only seven that he spoke. How do you respond? Well, it worked for him because it was real in his heart. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. That was it. That was all. If you've never prayed that, please, please do so now. Jesus, have mercy on me, the sinner.
because he lives, if you've just prayed that simple, sincere prayer, forget what happened, forget what's gone on. It's now about you and Jesus saying, do you want a future? Because I am the God that gives futures free because of what my son did for you. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. If that prayer comes from your heart, he hears it. And salvation and eternal life is his to give and yours to have because you believe. If you're watching online, you have a chance to, when we're finished singing, you can go and click on a connection card. Tell us you decided that today. You whispered those words. And let's begin a relationship to help you take the next steps with Jesus. If you're here in the house, the same applies to you, only you have a connection card right here. Please fill that out. We want to have a conversation. We want to build a relationship that says, I want to go further. Would you do that? We're going to sing a couple of songs right now, partly to give you a chance to reach for that card. Even if you, that's not your story, you may have something else you want to reach out for. Do that. Oh, praise his name is a song that tells the story of what we're gathered here for today. His death, his burial, resurrection, and return for all who are his. So God, I pray that you would have mercy on every single person calling out to you now. Forgive them. Come live inside of them. And would you, when you return, return for them as well as the rest of us. We praise your name. We love you, Jesus.